We're on page 44, uh, if you have those in the middle of page 44, looking at the conduct of the believers after this ordeal that happened uh, with uh, Peter and John. So remember, they did the healing. Uh, these these uh, Jewish leadership brought them in to question them concerning the healing, not because they had healed, but more because of who they were healing in the name of. And so uh, at the end of the day, they had to release them. There was nothing that they could do to hold them, uh, but they did threaten them. Do not speak in this name or else such and such will happen. And so in verses 31 through 37, we see the conduct of the believers that followed. Uh, And so you uh, have Peter and John going back to those believers uh, that were around at that time. And remember the key word or key term that we've seen early on here is this idea of them being in one accord, a tight knit group that uh, gathered together. And so Peter and John go back to them, report. um, We're we're just recapping, but we'll be in uh, chapter four of Acts and uh, verse 31 uh, is where we'll start from. Uh, but he goes back and reports everything that's happened and even the threatenings of, uh, of the, the Jewish leadership. And at the end of the day, they pray to the Lord and give him praise for uh, release of these uh, two apostles. And so go with me over there to chapter four and pick it up at verse 31. And we'll uh, read. And so he's coming off the end of the prayer in verse 31, and he says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were uh, assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spake with the word of, or they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that they ought to, or that ought of the things which he possessed was his own. Uh, But they had all things in common and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked for as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the pieces of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, uh, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, I've joked (laughs) before with the the church here. Uh, Does anybody want to get involved in this uh, giving the money to the pastors as it were the deacons and redistributing it back to everybody else as you have need and there was a resounding no (laughs) a collective no (laughs) that this is not what we want here (laughs) now now this has turned out bad in modern times when people have tried to do this i was just watching uh this netflix uh series on warren jeffs anybody ever heard of warren jeffs the uh, the Mormon leader, and he was a fundamentalist. He called himself fundamentalist uh, Latter Day Saints, uh, and he's of this ilk. 
And he took collection of the monies that everybody was working for and supposedly redistributed uh, back to everyone. But what he was really running there was a little mini communist system, right? In which he's dictating the lives of everybody and every single thing they do, even down to if their daughters wanted to get married, he's the one that releases them for marriage. And this is the kind of thing that grows out of people trying to do these communal type things. Right. It never turns out well in modern times. This was something we're going to see and we'll look at it throughout the book of Acts that God was using in the place of the Holy Spirit being identified as readily working through everyone to show everyone how you meet the needs of the collective. Right. And so we don't need (laughs) uh, to be dictated to how we're going to operate as believers. We have the verse that the pastor loves to go to there in 2 Corinthians in chapter 9. What? You are to give out of a ready heart, right? And it's theoretically the Holy Spirit that's guiding you into what you should give. And so we don't need a construct anymore to tell us how to give. But we'll get uh, more into that a little bit uh, here in a minute. But let's bow in a word of prayer and we'll get started there on uh, subpoint two, the conduct of the believers after this ordeal. Father, we're grateful uh, for this uh, day, grateful for uh, all that you've given us by grace, Uh, grateful that we do have an understanding of the Holy Spirit and his indwelling, uh, how he leads us and how we are to operate as believers, and that uh, when we don't meet that standard and when we don't align with where we should be in Christ, it's simply uh, time for us to realign our thinking uh, to where we should be in Christ. And that the things that you desire to get accomplished through your church, uh, it goes through each of us individually and then uh, to the rest of us. And it's able to be seen out uh, in how we live these lives. And so we pray that uh, as we uh, look at the contrast between the early church and that uh, they didn't have a clear understanding of how the Holy Spirit was moving yet. Uh, as he had just been uh, uh, just come to indwell them and they needed something to lead them uh, into how the early church should conduct itself. Uh, we pray that um, as, as we uh, continue through the study, we'd have a good appreciation uh, for the things that we have and, and how you've allowed us to operate uh, in liberty out from the Holy Spirit. And we would do that. We pray all of these things in your son Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. And so in verse 31, we see where it said, and when they had prayed, and remember this, this pray, or prayer that they had given uh, concerning the release of the apostles and the thanksgiving for God releasing them and praise back to him for what he did, not just in releasing them, but how he operated from start to finish in causing this man to be healed. The many people that were able to see and have testified to them the life that flows out from Jesus Christ, and then uh, the release, even in spite of the threatenings uh, that these guys were doing. Uh, But in verse 31, you see this, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were uh, assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Now, we we might take an aside here on our... um, lesson because we need to uh, we're not going to do it here today but possibly here in the future you're going to see this word fulfilled pop up a couple times and there i want you to know there are two words fulfilled with the holy spirit 
Now, this word has the idea of being filled, and it wasn't necessarily a permanent filling. It was a, a more of a temporary filling for a particular service. And so it, it's the word pimplemi, and we see it here um, uh, show up. And so, yeah, we we've almost definitely will come back and, and do some more on this word, but uh, not here today. And so they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Right? And so you see the results of the Holy Spirit. Not just that they're filled with him and they're able to speak in tongues or all of these different things that were done, but the courage and boldness that's able to be shown, right? Now, let's just imagine here that uh, we're living in a country, imagine, this is not currently where we are, but imagine that we're living in a country where believers are being <laughs> persecuted, right? Where are we? I missed that. Here in America. No, this is an imaginary <laughs> vision of America. And so me and the pastor were preaching the word and they bust in here and take us both away and they threaten us not to speak in this name again. And we come back here to the assembly and tell you all that has happened that they have threatened us with beating or with even death that if we teach in this name anymore. I'm glad you were found worthy. <laughs> That's what Scott would say. We see where Scott's mind would be. <laughs> he said, "Glad you were found." <laughs> but imagine this. Now, of your human nature, what's going to be your first reaction? Is your first reaction going to be, "Let's continue on and let's meet," right? No, in, in your flesh, you're going to say, let's get the heck out of here. I'm not going back to that church again, right? And this is the kind of boldness that the Holy Spirit provided so that they wouldn't be that way, right? And instead of running away, they're gathered and in one accord, right? And so we see this moving forward. And uh, again, I'll continue to contrast even Peter. As you saw Peter uh, during Christ's earthly ministry, that mind was in him to be bold, right? When he lashed out at that garden, we saw where his mind was. When he told the Lord, uh, wherever you go, I'll go with you even to death. The mind was in him. What did the Lord tell him at one point? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? So he needed something else to help him in the realm of his spirit. And we see the Holy Spirit is that thing here, not just for him, but for the other believers. And so they have this boldness. In verse 31, again, we see the further filling of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 32, we see the feeling of the collective. It says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that they ought, or that ought of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. Now, uh, I'm not of a collective kind of mindset, and I bring this thing up to you, you guys giving up your goods only jokingly. But there was something of the mindset of these individuals that these possessions that they had in this life weren't important, right? They were able to see these things that we have on this earth are just for the purpose of functioning on this earth. And there's an overriding spiritual life that's going on that's way more important than the physical life that we're seeing in front of us. 
and that caused them to give uh, to the necessity of other believers. Now, they needed a, a uh, vehicle by which to do this, so they gave their things uh, to the apostles, and they redistributed these uh, on their behalf. In verses 33 through 37, we see the authority of the apostles. In verse 33, it says, and, and with great power, this word for power, uh, we see many different words and we try to point them out to you that are translated power. But this is really the word for power, dunamis, the ability. Right. And so you can see it very clearly in our English uh, vernacular with the word dynamite. Right. There's a lot of ability in that dynamite. It's only waiting for fire to light it. And boom, you see the potential that lied inside of that dynamite. And so here's the ability of the apostles with great uh, power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now, how, how important was it for these apostles to be witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, anybody could just say, you know, by, uh, and as we're doing, kind of living off of the reputation here, of what the apostles said that they had seen or, or that they know this man Jesus lived and was resurrected. But it's very important, not just that there was an individual that said it, but that there were people that saw it, that were witnesses to the resurrection. Right. And Paul is pointing that out in chapter 15 of First Corinthians. Why? You have believers here who have believed the facts of the gospel before. And we see that early. And now we're saying, because of what other people have said, uh, I don't know about that resurrection. I believe there's a Jesus. I believe he lived and died. But I, that resurrection, I don't know. And so Paul has to write to them and reemphasize to them the importance of the resurrection to their salvation. Read with me in verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. You see, he had preached this to them before. This is not new news. This is something that they had already received and believed and currently are caused to stand as believers. Verse 2, by which also you are saved. If you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you, believe in, uh, unless you have believed in vain. For I deliver unto you, first of all, that which I also receive, how that Christ died on behalf of our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. And so you could say these are facts. These are the facts that we state all the time of the gospel, what you must believe to be saved. However, if they were just facts that were stated by someone else and not seen. Do you <laughs> do you believe those facts? People tell us a lot of things in the world today, right, that they call facts that don't have verification by another individual. Right. Sometimes we call that fake news. Right. We see that a lot of times in our culture, especially with the Internet. You can get stuff out really quickly. Right. And say that this is a fact when it's not been verified by any source here is verification to the facts of the gospel. In verse 5, he said, and that he was seen of Cephas, speaking of Peter, and then of the twelve. And so all of the apostles bear witness to the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. 
Not just a man who lived and died, a man that was seen after that. In verse 6, after that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. And so what is further evidence? If they needed evidence, they could go beyond the apostles to these individuals that are still alive that could bear testimony to the fact that Jesus had raised from the dead. Uh, verse 7, he says, After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. And I think, I can't prove it here, but as you look at Paul, he probably saw the Lord while he was alive, sure. He was probably one of the Jews that was persecuting him. Uh, but further than that, we know he saw the Lord on, his, on the road to Damascus. Well, he didn't really see him. He saw a light. And then we know uh, further than that, he was with him in Arabia. And so he saw him and, and interacted with him in that sense as well. And so when we talk about a witness to the resurrection, these apostles, as they're teaching these individuals that Jesus Christ died, was buried and rose again. They're not just whistling Dixie. This is something they saw and were testimony or test or were able to testify to. Now, it's up to you whether you believe what someone said at that point, but they can say for a fact that they had seen this event happen. And so in verse 33, back over in Acts chapter four, as they're speaking, there's uh, Peter and the apostles are speaking. It says, and with great power gave they witness or testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Neither verse 34 was there any of uh, any among them that lacked for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prizes of the things sold, that were sold. And so you didn't have a lack among the brethren here. Right. Because as there were, were need, the possessions and, and money that they had given to the apostles was distributed to those that had need. Now, again, uh, this day and time, uh, hopefully, if we have believers that are in need among us, we're not having to look to the church to distribute to those individuals. There should be believers that are looking for the needs of other believers and giving to those necessities. Uh, and so you see this here. In verse 35, we see uh, that they laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Now, in verse 36, we're going to see an example of such. And it's funny, coming right before chapter 5, you see this with Barnabas. Now, in chapter 5, we're going to get into Ananias and Sapphira, right? A bad example of how you conduct yourself early in the church. Here, you see the right way that it was supposed to be done. And the Holy Spirit theoretically is leading Barnabas in what he's doing. Now, uh, the bad thing that you see in chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira is they're acting as if the Holy Spirit led them in what they were doing. And you're going to see uh, a bad example has to be made of these individuals. Now, you might say, hey, this is a little bit harsh. <laughs> Just told a little lie <laughs> and they lost their lives for it. Well, we're going to get into that just a little bit more here in a few moments. Um, 
Oh, I did skip over something there with my notes. Um, and this idea of witnesses of the resurrection, uh, back in verse 33, uh, one of the functions of the apostles we see was to be witnesses to the resurrection. So you could go over to First uh, Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 1. We saw uh, in First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 8 uh, that um, provided... And then the utilization of the grace that was present with them allowed them uh, to be witnesses to the resurrection. Now, in verses 34 and 35, I'm trying to catch this up in our notes here. Uh, the reception of uh, the, and distribution of possessions is seen uh, in those two verses and now uh, on the 36. And so we see the example and introduction of Barnabas here in verse 36. And so uh, verse 36, it says, and Joseph, Joseph, who's by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, uh, having uh, land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles feet. And so here you see. Uh, he has these possessions, right? Might have been land, might have been houses. He sold these things, got the money, and brought the money back to the apostles. This is the way uh, that each of them were operating. And he brought all of it. He didn't say, uh, I'm going to sell this amount, right? And then I'm going to keep back this little amount over here, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that if they wanted to do it that way. No one was saying you have to sell all of your possessions and give them all uh, to the apostles. Sell what you want and bring it to the apostles. But we're going to see that Ananias and Sapphira did it a little bit differently. And so it's important to note here uh, what, what uh, Barnabas did so you can see the contrast when it comes to Ananias and Sapphira. So that brings us to chapter 5. You guys have page 45? You don't? Okay. I have to print those out for you after. Uh, Lynn is not here to go and <laughs> run and get those. I can, I can go ahead and print them if you want do you know how to feed them through? Yes. Okay. Only a couple at a time. Okay, and at the top of page 45, we see uh, the demonstration of, of the Holy Spirit's power. And so in, in the last chapter, we saw the Holy Spirit showing himself in the deliverance of these uh, and empowerment of these apostles. And now we're seeing the demonstration of the power of who he is. Right. And so a lot of times we talk about God, the father. We talk about God, the son and the Holy Spirit just kind of gets left off like he's not as equal to the other two persons of the Godhead. But here you would have to eliminate this <laughs> particular verse here. If you were going to say that the Holy Spirit is not as powerful as God and we're going to see here some specific language that shows you that the Holy Spirit is indeed a person of the Godhead. Uh, but in verses five or one through eleven, we see uh, that he is is demonstrating his power in the punishment of ones who are out of step with where they should be. And this is in the person of Ananias and Sapphira. So let's read verses one through four. We see, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price with his wife also being privy to it and brought up a certain part and laid it at the apostles feet. But Peter said, Ananias, 
Why has Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto who? Does he just say the Holy Spirit? No, he says God. There's two things that are stated here that show you that the Holy Spirit is God, this being one of them. Uh, but we'll, we'll break this down as we go through. Now, in verses 1 and 2, we see the introduction to Ananias and Sapphira. And so the cited example uh, is given already back in verse 37 of chapter 4 for how you should give. And so uh, one of the important things that he points out here is that there was not a restriction that you have to sell all. He said, while it remained, was it not your own? You could have done whatever you wanted to with it, right? So let's say this, this housing market is booming right now, right? And let's say you sell your house for $400,000, $300,000, somewhere around that. And you decide, oh, I'm going to give this possession to the church. If we were doing this collective thing of the $300,000. But you keep back 30000 of it for yourself. But you represent that you gave the whole amount. This is what Ananias and Sapphira were doing, right? Yeah, we gave all of what we had here. We're going to keep this little bit over here for ourselves. Why did they do that? They wanted the, the impression that they had given all, but they didn't want to actually give all. Nobody said that they had to give all. This is something that they decided to do. In verse 1, we see the couple uh, in conformity. And so Ananias is mentioned primarily as being the one uh, that kind of pushed for this. But Sapphira is not absolved of responsibility. She was privy to it. She understood all that was going on here. And uh, they sold their possessions. This idea of selling uh, the possession goes down to uh, this word for Katema, which means the accumulation of physical assets such as houses, land, or livestock. So they could have sold any of these number of things uh, to get the, the money that they had. Now we see this word used in a couple different places just to give a flavor of, of what uh, possessions might have entailed. Uh, we see it used with the uh, young rich man asking for eternal life uh, and that he had great possessions back in Matthew 19.22. And Mark uh, 10, 7, uh, 10, 17. And so he had great accumulation of all of these different things. Uh, and then over in Acts chapter 2 and verse 45, we see the custom of sharing of possessions among each other began after the coming of the Holy Spirit. Let's go back to that one really quick in Acts chapter 2 and verse 45. So we see this was already something that was uh, kind of going on or in operation. It's not connected. We'll, we'll have to do it after. Um, and so pick it up in verse 41. It says, uh, there then um, they gladly received his, or they that gladly received his, received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. 
and all that were uh, believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And so you see, this is something that started immediately following the day of Pentecost. And here uh, is still an operation as we come uh, up to Ananias and Sapphira. So back over to chapter five, and we see in verse two, the lie of the couple. And so the lie in that they were keeping back part of the profit uh, from the sell of their possession and that uh, the wife uh, of Ananias understood what was happening, this idea of her being privy to what was done. Uh, and this word means to have a mental awareness together with another of a person or thing through sight and comprehension. She fully knew and was on board with everything that was going on. So as we see her punishment, uh, it's not uh, any more drastic than his was because she knew uh, in, in detail what was happening. And then she's going to lie <laughs> again, we see, when they, they come and ask her about it. Uh, so the placement uh, of part of the possession with the apostles with representation of being a whole. Again, they gave a fraction of what they actually sold it for and represented it like it was a whole. And all of us have done uh, fractions in school, so I won't go through that example uh, to show you. Um, and then in verses three and four, we see the statement made from Peter. And so he addresses, or the address is made directly to Ananias. And again, I think it's because Ananias is seen as the one that is leading uh, uh this uh, lie. And so he says in verse three, but Peter said, Ananias, you see, he didn't say Ananias and Sapphira. He says, Ananias, why has Satan, and he calls him first uh, to him, filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the land or, or the price of the land. And so um, a lot of people have a problem with the person of the Holy Spirit. Right. They believe in the Holy Spirit, but a lot of people actually and, and we don't have this problem here, but they think that he's just part of God. He's part of the representation of God. He's not uh, if, if there's not a God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit. There's just God manifesting himself in different ways as the son, as the father and as the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so here you see that can't be the case. He's talking directly to him. He says, why have you conceived in your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Uh, and so you see the power uh, of the Holy Spirit displayed here and that they're accountable to him. Uh, we see that uh, uh, Ananias's lie is exposed. And so uh, Satan uh, is presented as the source of the lie. And if you were to go back to John uh, eight forty four, we see that Satan is the father of the lie. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25 tells us that Satan uh, can tempt believers to lie. And then over in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9. How much time do we have here? Five minutes. Let's, let's go back to uh, John chapter 8 and verse 44. Just because this is a good one. Those other parts of scripture over there. <laughs> You got me there, Brother Scott. <laughs> well, I'll do like my dad and say this is a great, <laughs> this is a great part of Scripture. <laughs> uh, just a wonderful Scripture. R verse 40, 
It says, but now, uh, and so remember in the context here, the Lord is interacting with the Jews and he's trying to get them to see this, this truth that, that lies in who he truly is. And they don't want to see it, right? They just don't want to see it. And he goes back and forth with them. But he's going to get pretty hard with them in this, this last part of this uh, context. And he's going to tell them plainly who he is and who they are. Uh, pick it up in, actually in verse 39. He says, they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Now, if you were to go back to Genesis, you would see in chapter 15 that is uh, these three individuals are approaching. And I believe one of them is the pre-incarnate son of God because Abraham does what? He falls down and worships them. You don't worship a man. You don't worship angels. And when angels uh, receive worship, anytime we've seen it in scripture, what do they do? They tell them, get up. I'm a man just like you. Or I'm, a, I'm, <laughs> I'm not worthy of worship. Not a, not a man just like you. And so you see here that they were worshiping specifically, I think, the second person of the Godhead. And so uh, Abraham, uh, they would do the works of Abraham. In verse 40, it says, but now you seek to kill me. A man that has told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Now, <laughs> they're probably in their minds wondering, what, what is he talking about here? What is he getting at? Well, he's going to tell them very clearly here in a moment. Then said they unto him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Now, you can take this a couple ways. <laughs> They're either saying that he was born of fornication and he doesn't know who their fa his, fa their, uh, his father is, or they're saying that well, our father is God. Uh, I tend to lead toward, lean towards the latter. Uh, verse 42, he says, Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, but he's not, you would love me, but you don't. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word, you are of your father, very clearly here and in English, the devil, <laughs> the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, and really here you could say the lie, he speaketh of his own uh, thing, for he is a liar and the father of it. So we see here very clearly when any lies come about, and you can use this as a, a litmus test as a believer when you're operating in the Christian life. We know we have three spiritual enemies, right? We have the world system, we have our own sin nature. And we have Satan. And you see here clearly one of the temptations that comes out from Satan is to lie or to be deceptive. So what's happening with Ananias and Sapphira? Is they're telling this half truth or making something to be that's not really what it is? They are under temptation from Satan to lie to the Holy Spirit. Uh, now go back with me there. We're going to close out. We'll have to. Uh, hit this a little bit harder next time. <clears throat> uh, over in uh, Acts chapter 5 and verse 3. 
And again, you can go over to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25, as well as uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.9, give you a little bit more insight into Satan's uh, uh, source being the source of, of lies. Um, we see that Ananias's deception of being filled and giving the full amount is phrased as lying to the Holy Spirit. Now, we didn't see Ananias go and say anything to the Holy Spirit, right? We just saw Ananias do something that other people were doing, having uh, had that key term we saw in the last uh, context of being filled, right? And so he's representing himself as like he's doing this because the Holy Spirit is leading him to do it. So the Holy Spirit led him to give this amount when he really gave this amount. And so uh, Peter says here, that you're lying to the Holy Spirit. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the, uh, part of the land? In verse 4 it says, uh, Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine own heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And so this representation, they thought that they were getting over on men, right? <laughs> and I'm sure in their heart, they didn't desire to do anything to harm anyone. They just desired to be lauded for giving the whole amount and to be able to keep back the part for themselves. But we see here that they were actually lying to the Holy Spirit. Now, what we're going to see next week, there's consequences <laughs> that come when you lie to the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think that this plays out just the same in, in today's time. And I think God was making an example of them in the early church so that you could see that there's a clear distinction between acting out of your own flesh and acting by being led by the Holy Spirit. And we'll come back to that next week. Father, we're grateful uh, for this day and grateful that you've uh, clearly presented your Holy Spirit to us, uh, that we can see uh, him leading uh, into those different things that uh, you desire for us. And there's a, a clear uh, relationship between the three persons of the Godhead that we can follow uh, and know that we're uh, living uh, as ones and dwelt by these three persons. And so we pray that we be in alignment with who we are in Christ. Uh, and because of that and our position in each person of the Godhead, that they would uh, you would clearly produce works through uh, yourself, through your son, Jesus Christ, and by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we'd we'd uh, be grateful for that, and we look forward to the opportunities that we have in this week uh, to come uh, to show forth those things. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.